Hello and welcome to Hillcrest To Go. I'm your host, John Parker. Today, Dr. Tom Goodman shares a message titled, The Wonder of Thunder. Now, an important message from Dr. Tom Goodman. It's wonderful to see so many activities coming back into uh, the building and so many opportunities to serve and to learn and to develop relationships with each other. I so appreciate Jonathan Yates and the work that he and his team does to get uh, activities for the whole family. And I'm so appreciative also for uh, John Parker for working so hard to prepare this music to lead us in every week. It's just remarkable to me every week how uh, the music uh, is just such a preparation, the, the subjects, the themes that we sing about in the first 20, 25 minutes or so get us ready for the very same subjects or themes that come up in the Bible study. It's almost as if the Holy Spirit planned it that way, right? And uh, we're so grateful for that. Uh, you saw a brief video clip inside that video about Education Connection, and that's such an important ministry to uh, children and to their families in our area through the public schools. Education Connection is, is uh, an organization, a Christian organization that we're a part of, and it enables us to get into schools like Hill Elementary and Pillow Elementary and so on. And I hope that you'll be part of something like that. I, I was reading an article just this past week that indicated that uh, even as kids fell behind during the, uh, during the COVID shutdown and during during that long stretch of time, just a, a, just a little commitment to listen to a child read to you and you reading a book to a child can help them catch up to where they need to be. And so I hope you'll serve the families in that way and be a blessing to them. Heavenly Father, we pray that now as we have, have praised your name, we will study your word with the same commitment and that our hearts would be open to hear what you have to say to us and that you would be pleased with the decisions and the commitments and the renewals that we make today. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Some men and women make their lives uh, studying storms up close and personal. Uh, one such group can be found in Norman, Oklahoma. These uh, weather scientists there are part of the National Severe Storms Laboratory, and they actually go out in search of tornadoes. And so when severe storms threaten, they all jump into vans and they drive up and down the roads and the highways looking for that ominous black funnel. And when they see it, they stop. They get out of their vehicles instead of running away and they take pictures and they set up various uh, instruments that enable them to measure the things that they need to measure so that they can figure out more about these storms. Now their focus is on tornadoes. Other meteorologists uh, focus on hurricanes. When a hurricane threatens our Gulf Coast, a turboprop cargo carrier will lift off from Biloxi, Mississippi out of Keesler Air Force Base, and their mission is to enter the eye of the hurricane. Uh, scientists can identify a hurricane from weather satellite photos, but they can only pinpoint its accuracy within about 40 or 50 miles, and that's not enough to be able to predict landfall, where landfall will be. In order to do that, and in order to uh, actually measure the strength of the storm by its barometric pressure, they have to send an airplane through that storm wall and into the eerie eye of the storm. 
One lieutenant colonel described his job in this way. It's like they told you there's a big mean bear in a cave, and then they give you a thermometer and say, there, go take its temperature. <laughs> we are fascinated and at the same time terrified by storms. Some 3,000 years ago in Psalm 29, King David put words to that awe and that terror that we still feel today. A couple of weeks ago, we began a short little series through some of the Psalms in the Old Testament that focus on the skies. Two weeks ago, we began with Psalm 8. There, that poem focused on the stars in the night sky. Last week, we looked at Psalm 19, and that focused on the sun in the day sky. And now today, we're going to look at Psalm 29, which focuses on thunderclouds in a stormy sky. When we were in Psalm 8 two weeks ago, King David said, the stars in the night sky make me get caught up in wonder that God would care about us. Last week when we looked at Psalm 19, there David said, when I look at the, the sun in the day sky, I get caught up in wonder that God would want to communicate to us. And now in Psalm 29, we see David saying, when I think of thunderclouds in a stormy sky, I get caught up in wonder that the powerful God would share his power with us. Let's take a look at Psalm 29, reading starting in verse 1. Ascribe to the Lord, you heavenly beings, ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord the glory due his name. Worship the Lord in the splendor of his holiness. The voice of the Lord is over the waters. The God of glory thunders. The Lord thunders over the mighty waters. The voice of the Lord is powerful. The voice of the Lord is majestic. The voice of the Lord breaks the cedars. The Lord breaks in pieces the cedars of Lebanon. He makes Lebanon leap like a calf, Syrian like a young wild ox. The voice of the Lord strikes with flashes of lightning. The voice of the Lord shakes the desert. The Lord shakes the desert of Kadesh. The voice of the Lord twists the oaks and strips the forest bare, and in his temple all cry, Glory! The Lord sits enthroned over the flood. The Lord is enthroned as king forever. The Lord gives strength to his people. The Lord blesses his people with peace. God bless the reading of his word. In this week's devotional newsletter, I write it every week. It comes out in your email inbox. It's called Winning Ways. And if you don't receive it, you can just turn in a connection card today and you can start receiving that for free if you'll give us your email address. But in this week's devotional, I wrote about Bob and Pat Mulder, and they are a Mississippi couple, empty nesters, the time when this, was, uh, uh, when this was written. Bob and Pat were listening to the rain pelt the roof outside their Brandon, Mississippi house early on a Sunday morning when the phone rang, and it was their son, David, calling from South Korea. He was a helicopter pilot stationed along the DMZ, the demilitarized zone. And as they talked, a booming clap of thunder shook the windows. David asked, what was that? It sounded like an explosion. And his mom said, oh no, it's just thunder. It's been raining here all this past week. And there was a long silence on the phone. And uh, David's dad said, David, are you still there? And David said, I'm still here. I was just thinking about what mom said, just thunder. Other than the two of you, you know what I miss the most over here? Thunder. 
We have rain, we have wind, we have snow, we have some violent storms, but it never thunders. I miss the thunder. And when the Molders got off the phone with their homesick son, Bob pulled out an old-fashioned tape recorder, a golf umbrella, and a lawn chair, and he headed for the door. Where are you going? said his wife. I'm going to record our son some thunder. Bob, the neighbors are going to think you're crazy. David won't think I'm crazy, he said, and he went outside, and for the next 30 minutes, Bob Mulder sat under his golf umbrella in the driving rain and flickering lightning, and with that old-fashioned tape recorder rolling, he recorded what he called half an hour of the finest Mississippi thunder a lonesome man could ever want to hear. And the next day, he mailed that old cassette tape to his son with a, with a note that said a special gift. Now, in Psalm 29, we see another man named David who was also fond of thunder. He was fond of it because it reminded him of the awesome power of God, an awesome power that God delights to share with his people when we need it most. Now, this psalm is written in such a way that you get the feel of a thunderstorm approaching and then a thunderstorm all around you and then a thunderstorm passing over you and receding off into the distance. And so verses 1 and 2 have this idea of the thunderstorm approaching you with all its rolling clouds and its flickers of lightning. And then verses 3 through 9, the thunderstorm is upon you. You're caught on the outside, maybe in an open field, with this flash of lightning, these cracks of thunder happening all around you. And then in verses 10 and 11, the thunderstorm has passed over you, moved off to another field, another area, leaving everything fresh, leaving everything quiet. And this is the image that we have as King David thinks about this thunderstorm that he must have many times been caught, caught in out in the open when he was a shepherd boy. And it made him think of the power of God, the power that, was, that God was willing to share with his people just when we need it most. I want you to use your sermon notes inside your bulletin, and I want us to move through the phases of this storm that approach David was all around David and then passed by David and receded off into the distance. So first of all, verses 1 and 2 speak of the gathering clouds. In verses 1 and 2, the storm is approaching. And David says, ascribe to the Lord glory, ascribe to the Lord strength. Some translations have the word give, give the Lord glory, give the Lord strength. And that's a fine translation too. Now we do need to understand that we don't ascribe to God or give to God anything that God needs. God doesn't lack anything. So why are we so often in the Bible commanded to worship God? If he doesn't need our worship, why are we commanded to give it over to God? Because God knows that we are worshiping creatures. And if we are not worshiping him, we're going to worship something less than him. We cannot not worship. You know, you don't have to be a Bible reader or a particularly religious person to understand this. David Foster Wallace said this in what has become the most famous commencement speech of all time. It took place back in 2005 or 2007. I don't remember exactly. But here's what he said, or a portion of what he said. Everybody worships. He was speaking to college graduates. He said, everybody worships. The only choice we get is what to worship. And an outstanding reason for choosing some sort of God or spiritual type thing to worship is that pretty much anything else you worship will eat you alive. If you worship money and things, if they're what you tap into for real meaning in life, then you will never 
have enough. Never feel like you have enough. It's the truth. Worship your own body and beauty and sexual allure, and you will always feel ugly. And when time and age start showing, you will die a million deaths before they finally plant you. Worship power, you'll feel weak and afraid, and you'll, never, and, and you'll need ever more power over others to keep that fear at bay. Worship your intellect, being seen as smart, you will end up feeling stupid, a fraud, always on the verge of being found out, and so on. The insidious thing about these forms of worship is that they are unconscious. They are default settings. They're the kind of worship you just gradually slip into day after day, getting more and more selective about what you see and how you measure value without ever being fully aware that that's what you're doing. And the world will not discourage you from operating on your default settings because the world of men and money and power hums along quite nicely on the fuel of fear and contempt and frustration and craving and the worship of self. Now that didn't come from a Sunday school teacher, that came from a, a secular novelist. But it's, it's true, isn't it? And so when we read in the Bible that God commands us to worship, He is doing us a favor. He's not asking for something that He needs. He is, he is letting us worship the only thing in the universe worthy of worship because we worship anything less than God and it will eat us absolutely alive. So this passage of scripture, David is seeing this approaching storm. His heart begins to race as yours does as you see an approaching storm cloud with all its boiling clouds and its, and its, uh, and its flickers of lightning and you know you're in for something. And so David says to the angels, do what you are designed to do, worship the Lord, ascribe to him what he deserves. Ascribe to him glory and honor. Now, verses 1 and 2 describe the sensation of the approaching storm. Verses 3 through 9 describe the storm itself. Now, when you read verses 3 through 9, it, it captures something of what it's like to have lightning flashing all around you out in an open field and those booming claps of thunder coming right afterwards. You know, Charles Spurgeon said that thunder is the church bell of the universe. I like that. In one of, his, one of his sermons, he said, Thunder is the church bell of the universe, ringing kings and angels and all the sons of earth to their devotions. And surely, whether you know God or don't know God, if you're caught out in the open in a lightning storm and you're having that thunder rattle you so even the fillings in your teeth seem to be rattling loose, you are going to be called to your devotions for sure. You're suddenly going to be very, feel very small and insignificant and temporary. According to Suetonius, the Roman historian, Augustus Caesar was so terrified of thunder that until a storm passed, he would wrap himself in a seal skin. He thought that would protect him and he would hide in a corner of his palace. The mad emperor uh, Caligula would cover his head uh, with a blanket and hide himself underneath the bed. And that's the, some of those powerful men on earth of that time. Modern men have not lost their wonder of thunder. Martin Uman is the emeritus professor of electrical engineering at the University of Florida. He has spent his entire professional career studying thunder and lightning. He's written several books on lightning. And yet all that study has not made him uh, immune to the wonder of thunder. He said at one point, it's still the scariest and most spectacular thing that I know. Scientists have calculated that about 100 times a second, a thunderbolt hits somewhere 
on the earth, followed by that deafening clap of thunder. Imagine that a hundred times a second, the church bell of the universe is ringing people to worship God. Verses 3 through 9 contain these images. Like I said, they're so vivid. It makes the reader feel like he's standing outside in the field with David as these flashes of lightning and cracks of thunder are going on all around him. Look at verse 4. It calls the voice of the Lord majestic like the deep and booming bass of a barrel-chested king. And then verse 5 refers to the mighty cedars of Lebanon. These were the mightiest living things in the Holy Land, in the, in the kingdom that David ruled. And yet, when a lightning bolt hits even a cedar of Lebanon, 125 million volts of electricity immediately heat that sap to a boiling point and causes the tree to explode with a crack that would be loud if it weren't for the crack of thunder that immediately followed it that was even louder. Verse 8 refers to the southern wilderness where a storm whips up whirlwinds of sand before the rains or it could be variously translated. It may be referring to the flickers of lightning that cause these shadows to dance upon the rocks, causing the shadows to go this way and that way, making it look like the rocks of the desert are dancing, skittering underneath, in fright underneath the power of God. Verse 9 pictures the forests being exposed to the mighty wind. Haven't you ever been outside when uh, a cold front comes through or a thunder cloud comes through and all of a sudden the temperature changes and it gets suddenly cooler and you feel this wind sort of whipping your clothing and then it hits the trees and all of a sudden the lighter green color of the underside of the leaves turn over and you can see it all just pressed up against the wind. That's the image that we have here in verse 9. And it all happened so suddenly, north, south, east, and west. And David said in verse 9, surely in heaven God's angels are shouting glory. It was back in 1886, a Christian hymn writer named Carl Boberg he must have had that same feeling when he wrote these lyrics, O Lord my God, when I in awesome wonder consider all the worlds thy hands have made. I see the stars, I hear the rolling thunder, the power throughout the universe displayed. Then sings my soul, my Savior God to thee, how great thou art, how great thou art. This was the same thing that David imagined the angels saying when in heaven in the courtroom in heaven, the angels themselves hear these claps of thunder and they shout, how great thou art, glory. Now, I want you to count how many times this sacred poet uses the phrase, the voice of the Lord. Ready to count them? Verse 3, the voice of the Lord is over the waters. That's one. Verse 4, the voice of the Lord is powerful. The voice of the Lord is majestic. That's two. And three, verse five, the voice of the Lord breaks the cedars, that's four. Verse seven, the voice of the Lord strikes with flashes of lightning. Now we're at five. Verse eight, the voice of the Lord shakes the desert, that's six. Verse nine, the voice of the Lord twists the oaks and strips the forests bare, that's seven. So seven times in this poem, King David talks about lightning flashing, thunder booming, and he calls that booming thunder the voice of the Lord. Those of you who are Bible readers, you know that the number seven in the Bible is a poetic number. It's a symbolic number. It is meant to symbolize or picture wholeness, perfection. It is the divine number, the number of God. And so David is imagining these 
thunderclaps going around him as the very perfect voice of God, the perfect power of God taking place all around him. And in David's mind, he envisions his whole nation enveloped in this thunderstorm. I want you to think of this. Look at verse 5. He speaks of the cedars of Lebanon. Where are the cedars of Lebanon? If you have maps in the back of your Bible, your print Bible, you can see that the cedars of Lebanon are in the northern part of David's kingdom. And then look at verse 8. He speaks of the deserts of Kadesh. The desert of Kadesh was in the southernmost side of David's kingdom. Now, a meteorologist will tell you that there is no thunderstorm that has ever existed that covers that much ground. And so what is David doing here? He is speaking poetically. He speaks of the voice of the Lord seven times, and then he speaks of this thunderstorm enveloping his entire nation. What is he trying to communicate to us? He is trying to let us know that there is no place where, people, where the people of God are away from God's power. Everywhere you are, wherever you are, whatever you're facing, if you belong to God, you can, you can ask God and you can tap into his power and he'll share his power over your desperate situation. This is what we're reading in Psalm 29. Now after this great shout, all the angels shout, glory, how great thou art. Then we see verses 10 and 11 and suddenly there is this calm after the storm. This is the third section. I said the whole psalm is this picture of an approaching storm, verses 1 and 2, and then a storm all around you, verses 3 through 9, and then that storm passes over you off to other lands, leaving, leaving everything quiet, leaving everything clean, and that's the image that we have in verses 10 and 11. The Lord sits enthroned over the flood. The Lord is enthroned as king forever. The Lord gives strength to his people. The Lord blesses his people with peace. The Lord sits enthroned over the storm. Human beings can't say that, can we? We can't control storms. We can't even accurately predict storms, let alone control them. And yet this passage says God has no trouble sitting enthroned over the most chaotic storms that we've ever faced. You know, in Wichita Falls once, a man lived to tell about being sucked up into a tornado. He was blown out of his exploding house, caught up in that swirling wind, much like Dorothy and the Wizard of Oz, except Dorothy was not beaten black and blue or stuck with hundreds and hundreds of wooden flying splinters. A truck trailer rotated near him. He says he remembers seeing a mattress ahead of him and thinking, bizarrely, if I could just reach that, I would lie down and take a nap. <laughs> And then he blacked out and he later woke up on the ground. He was completely wrapped up in, in barbed wire. Lieutenant Colonel William H. Rankin describes a similar experience in his book, The Man Who Rode the Thunder. In July 1959, he was flying his fighter jet from Massachusetts to South Carolina when suddenly his engine stalled directly over a thunderstorm. He bailed out at 47,000 feet and he began falling through the minus 70 degree uh, uh, weather, air. His chute opened automatically at 10,000 feet, but then things became chaotic. Here's how he put it in his book. A massive blast of air jarred me from head to toe. I went soaring up and up and up, 
Falling again, I saw that I was in an angry ocean of boiling clouds, blacks and grays and whites spilling over and into one another. I became a molecule trapped in a thermal pattern of the heat engine, stretched and slammed and pounded in all directions, up, down, sideways, clockwise, counterclockwise, over and over again. He spent 35 minutes bouncing helplessly around this cloud before he went through a long black tunnel into an open sky. Miraculously, his parachute was still intact and it unfurled and he fell to the ground unharmed. Mere human beings know nothing but terror and fright and most often death when they have the unfortunate experience of riding a storm cloud. This passage says God has no trouble riding the storm clouds. Now, Psalm 29 describes the time that David was caught out in the open with a thunderstorm going on all around him. The New Testament describes a time when the son of David was caught out in the open with a thunderstorm all around him. There may have been something entirely different, though, about that story. You know, in the New Testament, over and over again, uh, people called uh, Jesus the son of David. Uh, you hear the cry from lepers, from blind people, from people who need healing. Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And in Mark chapter 4, we read a time when the son of David had an experience like King David had out in a thunderstorm. Mark chapter 4, look at verses 35 through 41. That day when evening came, Jesus said to his disciples, let us go over to the other side. Leaving the crowd behind, they took him along just as he was in the boat. There were also other boats with him. A furious squall came up and the waves broke over the boat so it was nearly swamped. Jesus was in the cern, sleeping on a cushion. The disciples woke him and said, Teacher, don't you care if we drown? He got up, rebuked the wind, and said to the waves, Quiet, be still. And then the wind died down, and it was completely calm. He said to his disciples, why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? They were terrified and asked each other, who is this? Even the wind and the waves obey him. Well, who is this? He is the same one who is described in Psalm 29 as riding the storm cloud unaffected, unperturbed, undisturbed. He is the one who was in that boat. Isn't it interesting that they were terrified of the storm, but when the storm was all over, they were even more terrified of the one who commanded the storm. They suddenly realized that there was more in their boat than just a great moral teacher, just a way shower, an example giver. He was the Lord who was described by King David in Psalm 29. Now that leads me to two applications, and then we're done. First of all, I want you, I want to challenge you, encourage you to trust that God is willing to loan you His power when you need it most. For God's people, divine power is not just a source of terror. It is that, but it is not just a source of terror. In Psalm 29, we don't just see this raw exhibition of power, we see power with a purpose. There's a great peace, as we, we see at the end in verse 11. There's this great peace that can come to God's people if we realize not only that God has power, 
But he wants to share that power with us when we need it most. Did you come in here today? Did you log on online today in need of power? Maybe you're in a desperate situation right now and you don't know how to solve the problem that you're in. Or, or maybe you're facing ongoing temptations and you failed over and over again and you want to know, is there any power beyond my own brokenness because I can't break this temptation on my own? Or maybe you've got some problem, some knot that needs to be unknotted, something that needs to be fixed. Isn't it beautiful to know that we can go through this life not just under our own wits, just under our own power. We can go through this life tapping into the power of God. I say that reverently. Asking God for him to share his power with us. And King David promises us in this passage that God will indeed delight to do so. But now here's the second application. Become part of his people today. The first application is, as God's people, let's trust God's power more. But my second application is, if you're not part of God's people, become part of God's people today. Look at the very last verse, verse 11, when the psalm ends by saying, the Lord gives strength to whom? To his people. Not just anybody, but to his people. The Lord blesses not just anybody, but his people with peace. So how do you become part of his people? Well, it helps us to understand not just King David's words, but the son of David's words in that passage in Mark chapter 4. Because in Mark chapter 4, the son of David, Jesus, is indeed the incarnation of this God as described in Psalm 29 then is it an altogether more powerful thing to reflect on the cross? The cross is the place where the Lord of Psalm 29 entered into our world, lived our life, and died our death so that he himself might take away the sin that separates us from him. We read that passage in the end of the Gospel of John where the soldiers come to arrest Jesus. And Jesus says, who are you looking for? And they say, Jesus of Nazareth. And he says, I am he. The Greek there is ego I me, I am. The same word that Moses heard at the burning bush, Yahweh, Jehovah, I am. And when Jesus said, I am he or I am, those soldiers fell back and fell to the ground. And then Jesus asked them again, who is it you're looking for? And they said, Jesus of Nazareth. And he said, I told you. I am. And they came and arrested him and took him away. Why that weird little caveat? If, if the whole intention, the whole plan was to be taken away and crucified, why that little pause there at that moment where Jesus sort of flexed and they fell to the ground? It's to let us know that the God of Psalm 29 was the God who was there. He was the one who was yielding himself to the enemies of God so that we might be saved. And so as we place our trust in this kind of God, we can become part of his people. And then Psalm 29 becomes not just a, a psalm of awe, but a psalm of comfort. Where we realize that this God, this powerful God, this almighty God is for us. And he wants to share his power with us. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. As I mentioned the two applications to this passage today, then I want to turn those applications into prayers, prayers that all of us can pray. I want to lead you in a prayer as God's people, and I want to lead you in a prayer 
to become part of God's people. Most of us in here and listening online are part of God's people already. But we were supposed to come in here today. We were supposed to log on online today so that we could be reminded again that because we're part of God's people, there is an awesome power that is available to us as we'll yield to Him, trust in Him, pray to Him, and look to Him. And so maybe you need to pray something like this. Dear Lord, I believe in you. I've trusted you. But I have to admit that right now and what's going on in my life, I haven't tapped into your power like you invite me to. And I want to do it now. I want to ask you, Lord, to unknot the tangled up parts of my life, to fix the temptations and the brokenness of my life, that you would solve the problems that I'm facing in my life. And I realize that sometimes as you work in my life, that, that means that I have a responsibility to do certain things and discipline myself in certain ways. But I also realize now that if it's just all up to me, what I do and my discipline and my strength and my wisdom, I'm in trouble. So as I step out in my wisdom, as I step forward in my strength, I'm just going to trust that you're going to be working in all that, and you're going to be working above that to bring me through what I'm facing now. Now, as I said, I want to lift a couple of prayers up today and give you guidance on how to pray in two ways. A prayer that those who are God's people can pray, and now a prayer for those who need to become part of God's people. Maybe that's you. Maybe you need to... Uh, not just think about Jesus, but put your trust in Him. Not just study about Him, but depend on Him. Maybe you could pray something like this. Dear Jesus, come into my life and be my Savior and be my Lord. I realize now that the God who is celebrated in Psalm 29 is the same one who walked this earth, pressed His sandals into the shore of the Sea of Galilee, lived my kind of life and died my kind of death to take away my sin. Jesus, take away my sin by the work of the cross and give me a fresh relationship with the one who created me and help me to learn more and more about how to follow you and know you all the days of my life. Now, Lord, I pray as the pastor that, that, that this congregation, this gathering of people would pray one of those prayers or the other and be able then to know you as powerful and good. And that we would all be able to get back to our first childhood prayer. God is great and God is good. He is great and all powerful and you are also the one who in your goodness, in your kindness wants to share that with us. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. This concludes our podcast. Thank you so much for tuning in. Join us next time as Dr. Goodman shares a message titled, God's Still Small Voice. I'm your host, John Parker, and this has been Hillcrest To Go. For more information, please contact us at hillcrest.church.